reading from the epistle of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brethren, put ye on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the bowels of mercy, benignity, humility, and modesty, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if any have a complaint against another. Even as the Lord hath forgiven you, so do you also. But above all things, have charity, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of Christ rejoice in your hearts, wherein also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual canticles, singing in grace in your hearts to God. All whatsoever you do in work, word or in work, do all ye in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Jesus Christ our Lord. A continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. When Jesus was 12 years old, they going up into Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast and having fulfilled the days when they returned, the child Jesus remained in Jerusalem and his parents knew it not. And thinking that he was in the company, they came a day's journey and sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And not finding him, they returned into Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his wisdom and his answers. And seeing him, they wondered. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the word that he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Jerusalem and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these words in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and in age and in grace with God and men. And thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, of course, is the Feast of the Holy Family. And I don't have to tell all of you that the family is under full-blown attack. Marriage is under full-blown attack. There's not a single aspect of family and married life that is not under full assault by our culture. If you take a look at it, the fidelity that is required in relationship to spouse, they recently came out with a statistic that said, I think it was like 40% of people actually didn't have a problem with spouses cheating on each other. Then, of course, there's the unicity or the, the, uh, you know, the fact that the indissolvability of the marriage. No-fault divorce. Our Lady said in Quito, Ecuador, that in the latter part of the 19th and 20th centuries, that the Freemasons would seek to attack marriage. From my studies, although I haven't been able to verify it completely, it was the Freemasons who, through the court systems, brought in no-fault divorce. So now you have rampant divorce, even among Catholics. You know, historically, divorce was strictly forbidden in the church, so much so that you were denied the sacraments. And in fact, the reason being is, is that it had to do with the fact that you were not permitted to publicly repudiate the marriage, which is what divorce is, without first 
having gone through the annulment process, and recently they've inverted that process. You have to get divorced first, which is basically public repudiation of the marriage when you don't even know if that's the case yet. So there's been an inversion of the process. Then, of course, there's a complete all-out assault on the very nature of marriage. The definition of marriage is it's a solemn contract between a man and a woman for the sake of having children. The primary end is having children. That's what it's ordered towards. This is something which, unfortunately, has not been understood today. People think marriage is just a license to engage in the conjugal act, but that's not what we're talking about here. That it's true that they now have rights over each other's bodies in relationship to that and therefore can licitly, and it's actually a morally good thing for them to do so, provided the natural law is followed. But in point in fact, today, people don't even understand that it's between a man and a woman. The fact that there is gay marriage, people have to put marriage in quotes because it's not true marriage. It doesn't meet the definition of marriage. It's an abomination. There's no way that God isn't going to afflict us in some manner as a result of taking on something that is that disordered. In fact, their acts are so disordered that St. Catherine of Siena said that even the demons find it revulsive. And yet today it's glorified. This is all based upon a false principle. Well, if people love each other, they should get to be able to get married. That's not what the church ever said. Obviously, people should love each other before or they're married. But the obligation to love on the side of the husband, his wife is after marriage. Obviously, he should be loving her beforehand, but it's the obligation afterwards. But the love is just because you love somebody and you can't even give a, get a proper definition of love. People think love is, I got these nice feelings and emotions for you. That's not what love is. Love is willing. It's in the will, willing the good of another. And there's two kinds of love. There is a love which is what they call an interested love. That's where you want the other person who is seen as a good for yourself. And most people never get beyond that. But then there is the love of friendship, St. Thomas says, and that's what marriage should be founded on. In fact, he says that marriage is the, the most intimate of all forms of friendship in this life, other than obviously with God. But that love, love of friendship is where you will the good of the other individual regardless of whether you get anything out of it or not. And that you don't see too often among people. It's a sacrificial love by nature where you're willing to put aside your own particular good, some lower good for the sake of the better good of the other individual or for the family. The reason why fathers are not very sacrificial is because they don't understand that one fundamental thing, that they become true men by sacrificing the lesser goods in their life for the greater good of their family. That is completely lost. That's the true love that they have for each other. And the wife, the, what she sacrifices is her self-will by being subject to the, to the father who's the head of the household always tell women, look, you're not being subject to your husband as such. You're being subject to your husband. You're being ultimately subject to God through your husband. And so if you recognize you're just being subject to the order that God established through the natural law, 
if you do that and have that perspective, then your, your subjection to him will have a right order. It's not a groveling. It's not a servitude. He still owes you certain things and has an, has an obligation to honor you. Even as his wife, because that's a particular office, and even as a mother, he has an obligation to honor that, which is an excellence. But at the same time, being subject to him, all of that is completely destroyed by the feminist movement today. If you look at the feminist movement, all it is is the curse of Eve on steroids. The curse of Eve is essentially this that when Eve ate the fruit, she stepped out from underneath the authority structure of God and Adam and wanted self-sufficiency. The feminist movement didn't really get much traction in this country until during the Second World War, women went into the workforce and gained a certain kind of financial independence and they, got, they liked it. It was the, quote, greatest generation, unquote, of women that taught their daughters, the boomers, that, you know, you should have your own career and have, you know, you shouldn't be so dependent on your husband, etc. Failing to realize that a wife has a right, a right to be supported by her husband. It's not a matter so much of dependence, but a right. And the reason she has that right is because of her domestic duties and the obligation of her to take care of her children. This has been completely lost. The husband actually has a right for the wife to stay home and take care of the domestic duties and take care of the children. To give you an idea of the gravity of this and how God even structured our psychology according to this natural law understanding is the fact that children, one of the things that they're noticing is a drastic rise of what's called disaffective disorder. Disaffective disorder among children. And basically what this is, is that children actually have a natural inclination to bond with the mother primarily and then of course to the father as well but it's through that emotional bond that women have with their children that the child learns right order in his emotional life and learns that emotions when rightly ordered are actually a good thing that is when they're subject to reason it's a good thing but when they're put in daycares, and this is what they're finding out, that a large percentage of the children coming out of daycares are suffering from varying dis degrees of disassociation in some cases, but also this disaffective order, which is the inability to emotionally bond with people. If you actually look at these chil the children or the kids that were mowing all these people down, at least in the 90s, that's when the study was being done, in the 90s that were mowing people down in schools and things like that, it's they all had one thing in common, they all went to daycare. I'm not suggesting that daycare is intrinsically evil, but it should only be done something done when necessary. The fact is, is that again, the husband has a right. The other thing is, too, is, is that the last, uh, the Pope John Paul II and Benedict said that the children have a right, a right to be raised by their parents. The wife does not have a right to go off and work outside the home unless there's sufficient grave cause because of the right of the child to have a proper intellectual, moral, and spiritual and psychological formation by her at home. To give you an idea of how it's built even into nature, they did a st brain study once, and they discovered that women get 10 times the amount of pleasure out of talking than men do.
Any woman who's married knows that's true, right? Because the husband just doesn't talk. Why won't you talk to me? He just doesn't get the same amount of pleasure out of it. Now, this is a perfection. It can be disordered, obviously, when they talk too much and it's not moderated. But what they found out is that a woman's voice, obviously, we know this. If you've ever uh, learned a language and gone to another country, women are much more easy to understand than men in almost all languages. And so there's something about their voice that gives greater clarity to the language. And so when children, what they found out is that if a mother doesn't talk on a regular basis to her child when she's younger, the neurons in the child's brain does not properly form and it literally causes brain damage. That's what it's ordered towards. So I tell women, look, your inclination to talk, it's a good thing, but it's for your children, not your husband. But the point being is, is that this aspect of women is misunderstood. One thing that people just have got to grasp is that a career is never and will never ever be as noble as the office of motherhood. The fact that women form the mind of children is greater than any vote she would have. It's greater than any pushing paper in a cubicle. It's greater than any activity that she would do. In fact, it's so great that Chesterton said that a woman can make or break a nation by how she raises a single child. In the past, they said the privilege of woman was to form the mind of men. This is absolutely true. That's a much greater thing than having a career. This is something that, and when I said that original sin, or that the feminist movement is just original sin on steroids, it's that giving women that false sense of you'll be happy, you'll have fulfillment if you have a career and if you have all these other things. That is just completely false. I have yet to meet a woman who works in the workforce full time who's actually happy and has children at home. She might have some emotional fulfillment, but my experience of most feminists is you just watch them on television, they are miserable people. And where did this all start? Well, feminism has always been part of the equation because it's part of the curse of Eve, but it really got off the ground. It really got off the ground with communism. You've heard me talk about communism, and I don't want to say that there's communists under every rock. But the fact is, is that it was Vladimir Lenin. You can actually read it online. There was an interview that he did with a woman by the name of Clara Zenkin. And if you read that, it sounds like, the, it, it sounds like a complete prescription of the modern-day feminist movement. There is virtually no distinction. They wanted to get women outside the homes. They, you know, they wanted to, to denigrate the role of women in, within society, ultimately in the end. And they wanted to basically lower them and just basically reduce them to basically a worker. Because in the end, communism, the only thing that really, the only real contribution you make to society is working. Rather than the actual moral formation and the moral good of the society. In fact, things like transgenderism is a full-blown attack against motherhood. People usually don't put it together. Why is it? Well, because there's no such, any, tra any woman who goes through a transgender operation can't bear children anymore. 
And any woman who actually go, and any guy who becomes a woman, at least by the modern technology, he's not having any kids. And in point in fact, the entire feminist movement is an assault on motherhood, which is, frankly, one of the most sublime and magnificent offices that God ever created. I often tell people that, look it, a virtuous woman is the most magnificent of all of God's creation, but a woman who is not virtuous is the most wretched. I'm not the guy that originally said that. That has been said over and over again by the saints. So we have to get motherhood and the office of wife put back on the pedestal. We have to rebuild the marriage. And the reason why the marriage is under full-blown attack is because demons know that the marriage, that is the family, is the building block of society, not the individual. It is the family that's the building block of the society. And if you can destroy the family life, you will de facto destroy the culture. They even said at one point that you can actually tell the health of a culture just by the health of the women within that culture. So ironically, as much as they like to say that they're touting the rights of women, they've torn down the magnificence of motherhood and the magnificence of what it truly means to be a woman. And now we also see, and I won't go on because I could do this for hours, now masculinity is under full-blown attack because of the absolute hatred the demons have for God the Father and the fact that men are in the image of God the Father. How do you know this? You just have to watch TV for 15 minutes. There is not a commercial. There is not a sitcom. There is not a program under which the husband is portrayed as an absolute idiot, dolt who's incompetent and sits there and is basically a hindrance and does nothing good for the family. That's how he's portrayed over and over and over again. And any guy who wants to have a rightly ordered family and govern his family in a loving and in a rightly ordered way to, to use his authority, not for himself, but for the sake of his children, is torn down and viciously attacked. And this is why all of this, masculinity, femininity, upon which marriage is built, the totality of marriage and the family life is under full-blown attack. But that tells you something. It tells you that, that marriage and family is a magnificent institution. It's a magnificent sacrament. And as I said, it's the building block of the society. And so it also means that not just the communists and not just the liberals, but the demons themselves are scared to death of all good, holy, rightly ordered family. They're scared to death of it because it's the thing, it's the antidote to them. It's the thing that protects the children. It protects the society from them. It's only after they tear that down can they make any kind of hay. And so I tell people, we need to have, the way we're going to take back the culture, one of the principal ways we're going to take it back is by having large, rightly ordered, virtuous Catholic families large. We have to do what the Muslims are. The Muslims literally go into a country, they don't fight it, they just outbreed them, they say. We need to have large families. In fact, when I grew up, I came from a family of six. Large didn't even start until eight. 
So when people have their first kid, I always say, hey, that's pretty good, 11 to go. All right. The point being is, is that, and, and, the, and the other thing that has been viciously attacked, and I'll end with this, is that life is obviously is under attack. It's under derision. But it also means that children, having children is considered an evil. Oh, you're increasing your carbon footprint. You know, please. The fact of the matter is, is that children are a good thing. Yes, they require work. And yes, you do suffer a bit under that, but that's good for people. It purifies them, it helps them to grow up and to mature. But children are a good thing. And until we see that marriage and children and the proper roles of men and women in family are rightly ordered, our culture's doomed. It's gonna collapse. But in the end, it still is the case that according to the natural law, the family is the building block of society. And so I often encourage people, you know, I realize that a lot of good Catholic families feel like they're under attack, but just realize the reason you're being attacked is because ultimately you're doing a good thing and it's pleasing in the sight of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.